You're listening to episode 1 of season 13 of the Good New World Order for January 6, 2019. Hey everyone, this is Klaatu, and in this episode I want to talk about, well, I'm going to keep it a secret what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to keep you in suspense, because it is kind of a big deal, at least it is, uh, I think it is. And so I'm going to, first, I'm just going to open up, soft opening here, with some listener feedback. And that's because there have, there's been a little bit of, uh, a little bit of a pile-up because of the the front loading that I did over the holidays. Not not that much of a pile up to be honest. But anyway, there's um there's one here from Vulcan Rider and he says that let's see, a couple of items for you from episode 1251. I mean, that was ages ago. Nobody remembers that anymore. But he says first a couple of ZFS items for you. I was going back to re-listen to an episode uh, to make sure that he hit the salient points. However, I had deleted it off my podcatcher, so I went to the website and found that both the AUG and Opus were 404. Okay, so a note from Klaatu on that one. Um, The reason they were 404 is because I switched web hosting, which I'm going to get into momentarily. So then he says, what to do, what to do. Luckily, I am on a free BSD box, and my home directory is on ZFS. Snapshots for the win. I am listening to it from my snapshot directory. The other thing is that apparently there is going to be a merger between Illumos ZFS, FreeBSD ZFS, and ZFS on Linux. They will all be based on ZFS on Linux, since it is actually being more actively developed. The article is at Pharonix, and he provides a, a, a link and I read that, and it was pretty interesting. Um, I, I read the ZFS thing on on the the, the ZFS announcement on the, the FreeBSD mailing list, and and it it said basically the same thing that that the ZFS efforts were all kind of merging. I I I, I assume that that's got to be a good thing. Uh, I I don't know how different the code bases are. It's kind of interesting. I'm not, I'm not, I'm just kind of curious as to something like that, a, a file system specifically. How I wonder how much of that code will be intermingled with one another, because it it just strikes me as is surprising, frankly, that they can be merged. Because I mean, I've had such a I don't want to over dramatize because it's not that big of a deal, but I, I have not found sort of. Uh, parity among all the open source operating systems in terms of the file system support that they provide. And that's always puzzled me a little bit, and I've just kind of always assumed, well, I guess the file systems must just be, you know, being able to to speak to a file system must just be so, so unique to to kind of the low level of an operating system that, that they just can't, they can't share the load uh, of code with with one another you know, among different projects. For instance, I'm thinking specifically of, for instance, EXT4. I mean, even EXT4, apparently FreeBSD f- uh, 12 has that support for EXT4 built in only just now. I mean, FreeBSD 12, as of the recording, it came out like maybe two weeks ago. And, and the same goes for just really any any file system of your choice, really. Just the, the ability to just install a free uh, a BSD or, or Open Indiana and then Linux kind of in your home office or something, you know, in, in, one, in one lab and then just sneaker net between them is surprisingly not fluid. So it's really fascinating that ZFS is is able to kind of unify all of those things. And maybe that speaks to what Vulcan Writer said in an early earlier email, which is that ZFS is close to becoming the sort of universal file system. And I guess if anyone ever irons out the licensing issues between ZFS and the GPL, maybe that that would be 
that would be nice. And, and I don't know, um, maybe a full re-implementation of ZFS is worth it. I mean, I, I really have no clue what's involved in that sort of thing. So anyway, um, Vulcan Writer continues. Also a great talk about mail clients. I too am a KDE user and consequently a Kmail user. I primarily use it for my mail at work. Unfortunately, with all the different platforms uh, for personal email, I generally use the web interface. However, since I am only accessing work email from the work laptop, I use Kmail. When I started with the company years ago, we were using the an internal exchange server. Oh, wow. I finally got my mail configured. Then a few years ago, we went to Office 365. Oh, from bad to worse, or maybe from bad to better, I don't know. Neither of these solutions were terribly friendly to Linux. See, and that's that's just such a you know that's such a like that right there that just sums it up doesn't it like email email it's just such a, a simple premise so simple that it has endured all these years and yet one company just can't seem to make email cross-platform it's just it's it's a real shocker so I got into the habit of running a screen session that I could fire off an Akinadi control restart so that I could kick the exchange or o365 and get it to wake up. Oh, wow, that's that's really funny. But anyway, he says, why did I do this? Because contact Kmail has one feature that I, I, that I need. I am usually the first Linux sysadmin in the office in the morning, thus I am the first to triage tickets and the like that came in overnight. Kmail has the feature that when you click an email in the list, it opens in the reading pane. If you click another email in the list, then in Kmail, that email opens in the reading pane. Uh, pane while highlighting every email between the first and the last that you clicked. Thus, for example, say the first email is not one to be kept or to be moved to another folder, and there are a bunch of emails which you need to make that decision on, then you can look at the emails while highlighting a group. No other email behaves like that. Most of the other clients I have tried will open the first message in the reading pane, and subsequent messages won't open because, you know, you're you're selecting multiple uh, messages. But rather, it displays a list of selected messages. I think this is a great, great example of of why of how to how to put it positively. I mean, it, because there's a, a there's another way to put it negatively, and I guess that's the crux of it is that that the same feature in a software can can be a V killer feature for one person and then you turn around and for someone else it is the most annoying thing and it's the the reason that open source is a failure because of this one feature and if only it would act like all the other email you know and i think this is really a great example of that and it's it's kind of the answer to the question that admittedly we sometimes all of us ask why doesn't it just work like everything else? Like, why did this programmer, why did this developer, why did this team do something different here? Everything else on the market does it this way, but this person, this this application has to do it a different way. And you, you get really upset about it in the moment, if it's upsetting you, because you think, well, that's just stupid. That's, that's, it's non-standard. It's, it's, it, it goes against expectation. It's non-intuitive. You know, all of these terms you start throwing around, and and we we conveniently conveniently forget in the moment that that that's a feature that someone else absolutely lives and breathes off of like it is it is in Vulcan writer's uh, words it is w- the one in bold feature that i use/need and and that's why he's i mean i mean he he puts up with like this this restart hack that he has to deal with in order to get exchange or or 0365 to to function on on his machine because he likes that one feature so much that that's one of those stories that i i can kind of hear myself telling to people as kind of that 
that canonical example, you know, like, this is that one, you say this, you say it's the worst feature of, of, of anything that you've ever experienced. You say that this, this is the kind of thing that open source does, and, and, and that's why it's failing. And yet, here's this other example. And, and it's a valid example, and I, I, I know for a fact that I could probably, <laughs> fact, probably, those two words don't go together. I know uh, for a fact that I could come up with at least one of my own examples, but, uh, but actually, no, t- actually two. So there are several examples that I could come up with um, just from my own use that would, that would demonstrate the exact same principle, that the features that everyone else or, or that someone else out there thinks is the worst decision ever made by any developer anywhere is, is in fact, the reason that I use the thing. Okay, so next next one is uh, came in today, actually January uh, whatever today is six fifth whatever, and so this is from Frank. I don't I don't feel like I know Frank yet, so hi Frank. And um, he says if you've already re- received a comment like this, um, then just ignore this, no problem. You mentioned that some hoops have to be jumped through to boot and install Slackware from a USB stick, but Patrick did create the ISO images to allow for both from the 14.2 release notes. And this is a quote. A quote I'm, he, this is me, Klaatu, quoting Frank, who was quoting the release notes. Slackware ISO images, both the ones available online as well as the disks sent out from the Slackware store, have been processed using ISO hybrid. This allows them to be written to a USB stick, which can then be booted and used as an install source. This works on machines running both regular BIOS as well as UEFI. And then I think this is back to Frank, I think. He says, granted, while you can copy it directly to a USB stick, I don't know how easy it is for one to do that from, say, a Windows system, since I have only done it with uh, with DD on Linux systems over years. So it still may not be appropriate for your target audience in that episode, but I did want to mention it. I came across your show sometime in 2017 and really enjoyed it. You are doing a, great, a wonderful job, and I wanted to say thank you for the show. Well... Thanks, Frank. Thank you for listening, and thanks for the feedback, because, um, no, I didn't actually know this. I, I imagine that I did know it, because I, I generally read the, well, I certainly read the change log every day, because that's what I have my Firefox window set to. It goes to the Slackware change log for, one, my laptop, I think, goes to the um, change log for the the current branch, and then my desktop goes to the stable branch, or vice versa, I don't remember which, but it, it's, I get kind of the feel for both for both branches and that that's good and and I always read the release notes when they come out because I mean you have to wait for those release notes you've earned those release notes after 3 or 4 years of waiting for an update so yeah I read those things so I imagine I did know that I am surprised at myself for not having done it uh it could just be that in in my I mean the 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 media that I have it, I've always got a slackware disk like that's that's something that I always have. I have this little portable uh, DVD ROM drive that I got. It's like it was like twenty bucks. It's just uh, I brought it all the way from the states. It was like one of the one of the one things that made it w- uh, with me from the from the states to New Zealand because it was it's just a twenty dollar little thing. It plugs into two USB ports on your machine and you can boot up off disk. I figured that was a handy thing to have and and it really is. It's been a handy thing cuz you still encounter DVDs. And one of the things that I still use a DVD for is the Slackware install media because that's just that's what I'm used to. So that's kind of what I default to, I guess. I'm still kind of surprised that I never 
even tried the USB boot, um, but maybe I just read it in the release notes and immediately forgot about it because I was too busy downloading the media and too eager to install. Who knows? But that's a that's a great note, and uh, it is much appreciated. Thank you. Okay, that's I think that's it. That's all. We're all caught up now with listener feedback, which is great. No, actually, that that's there's one more listener feedback that I very nearly forgot. This is a relatively humorous one, and it's from JD on Mastodon. That's Mastodon. Well, I'm on Mastodon.xyz. You can go to any Mastodon instance, and then you can find people on other instances. But anyway, JD uh, contacted me on Mastodon, and he says that it's become apparent to me that I only listen to Clatu when I'm in the shower. I don't know what this means or that it means anything, but there it is. So thank you, JD, for bringing me into your shower time. I know that's a, a very uh, private time for most people. So uh, me being there, I'm, I'm glad that doesn't make it awkward or anything like that. And I'm glad I can entertain you whilst you cleanse your flesh. It's always good. Now, you can probably hear that music. You may have been around. May so not have been around last year at some point when I was talking. See you on the other side. Lua is a, a cool little programming language that, well, it, I guess it's technically called a scripting language. A lot of people call it a scripting language. I mean, it's a programming language, but a lot of people refer to it as a scripting language, which is fine. And I, I guess I wasn't, I wasn't really aware of it all that much when it was really, really hot. But I guess it, it rose to prominence especially within the video game and visual effect realm. And I certainly became familiar with it whilst working in the movie business when, whenever there would be uh, scripting to do with shaders, uh, like 3D shaders. It was, uh, as far as I know, it was always just done in Lua. Um, I mean, I'm sure there were, are exceptions, but the, the stuff that I always encountered in, in real life at my jobs were, were in Lua. So I was vaguely, vaguely aware of it, and as it turns out, it's it's pretty popular within companies to to provide basically game designers the ability to 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 work on like the levels of of video games without you know within the engine that's been created at the company to to render everything and to create all the the logic and the physics and so on. Because you don't want everyone to have to be a high-level programmer or low-level programmer. Which way does it go? I forget which is better and which is worse. Um, but you don't want everyone to have to know how to, you know, build an engine. You just you just want people who know how to uh, to to use the engine. And so the people using the engine often use Lua. And examples of this are are prolific. You can find them in. A little bit of Lua, uh, I guess, was used in the with the Unreal Engine for Bioshock Infinite, uh, on the Cry Engine in the Far Cry series, the Diesel Engine, which is uh, the thing driving, uh, for instance, Payday, the Silent Storm Engine, which powers Heroes of Might and Magic, and many many others. Uh, a lot of people immediately, when I say Lua in real life, they say, "Oh, like like the scripting for." Um, World of Warcraft, and I think if I recall correctly, there was a bunch of Lua stuff that you could use to script the funky Second Life uh, thing. Second Life is a old, old sort of virtual space that was created and pretty popular for a while. So that's kind of how how Lua found its niche. It, it kind of it kind of settled into that to that market, and and is I I, I guess relatively secure there. 
and I, I I keep getting I keep getting this feeling that at one point maybe there was a, a fork in the road where the whole world could have gone left and we would be using Lua today for all kinds of projects. But instead the world went right and instead we're using Python for all kinds of projects. And I don't know if that's accurate. I'm not saying that that's historically correct because again, I wasn't there. I mean, I was technically there, but I was not on the scene. I was not aware. I didn't know what was happening in computing at that point, really. Uh, so I, I can't say. But that's kind of the feeling that I get, that Lua may have been poised to be the Python of of, of an alternate reality. And instead, we went for for for, for Python in, in this current reality. And, and I'm not saying that that's good or bad. I'm simply stating that I... I have a feeling that that there is some some overlap in in maybe the intended audience or or the 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 market that that might be interested in that sort of thing. And what got me thinking along those lines was kind of like this this imposed Lua versus Python thing was that that I was investigating Lua at one point as a tool for teaching people programming because it I heard that there were some really good tools for Lua for teaching programming and I, I kind of got interested in it and I kind of started looking at it in earnest for for teaching people how to program and that is admittedly often the domain of Python now that said there's just as much I think of a movement for JavaScript as the introductory language for everyone. And there's probably just as much, well, maybe not just as much, almost as much uh, push for Ruby to, to take that spot or, or to, to serve that purpose, I should say. And, and then arguably there's probably even yet another division of Java. But I kind of feel like that's getting a lot more formal, I think, than, than a lot of introduct uh, introductions to, to say, Python or Ruby or JavaScript or, for that matter, Lua. And the reason I'm saying that Lua is something that I am enjoying looking at primarily is because I I really think that its its syntax is really, really marvelously simple. And by that, I mean, for instance, let's go into... This all has a point, by the way. I'm not just talking about about Lua for fun, because I've covered this before, but I, I just want to, I want to highlight some of its benefits, because one of the, the, one of the things that you're going to find if you do look at Lua is that getting, getting a script started within Lua is, is marvelously simple. It, it really does feel much more like, well, it is, it is not, for instance, a, an open, a, a um, object oriented it is open it is not an object oriented program meaning a language it's it's not it is not oop it is a uh, i think a functional programming language is what you would call it meaning that it's going to feel a lot more i guess if you grew up with basic or you you maybe you didn't actually grow up with basic but you you sort of you've heard about the sort of that's what a program is, right? It's this recipe. It's this list of tasks. Lua feels a little bit more like that in a good way than something like Python, which often, it doesn't have to be object-oriented, but it is often treated uh, object-oriented. And I think if you are teaching people Python for the long term, 
then that's kind of how you're teaching it is look here, here's we're just gonna start with object-oriented stuff because that's at the end of of this of of your introduction to programming that's where you're going to end up now conversely lua is not an object-oriented programming language, amazingly enough. I mean, I almost kind of didn't even know that existed before I started really messing around with Lua. And I just thought, well, everything's object-oriented now, right? I mean, that's just how it's done. Like, it's not real if it's not object-oriented. That's a magic phrase. Well, it turns out, no, not, not necessarily. So, anyway, the reason I'm talking about Lua, really, is because I think uh, back when I first started talking about Lua last year, um, I mentioned that there was a possibly a very good book that might come out at some point on the subject and how maybe you should look out for that book when it happens. Here's the thing. A-Press, that's apress.com, A-P-R-E-S-S.com. If you go there on the front of the page right now, as of January 6, 2019 anyway, uh, there's a book there called Developing Games on the Raspberry Pi. And it, uh, the subtitle is App Programming with Lua and Love. It's a really good book. You should buy this book. I'm highly recommending that you buy this book. In fact, I'm going to go so far as to say that if you want to support this show in any way, you should purchase that book. Let's just say that that book uses many of the approved methods of teaching Lua that I myself might use. And in fact, I am going to kind of give you a taste of what that book contains, because, and I'm, I'm allowed to do this, I've, I've checked with all the authorities um, concerned, it's, it's perfectly legal for me to give you a little bit of a taste of what's in this book. So I'm going to do that right now. And the first thing that I want to emphasize about this book is that it is for the Raspberry Pi, as the title suggests, but that it can be used on anything, it, and it says as much in the in the um, in the book, like in the in the introductory material, it 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 explains how you might not want to use a Raspberry Pi. I mean, you may want to use a Raspberry Pi if you don't have access to a Raspberry Pi. You can certainly use Lua on any number of computers. It doesn't doesn't really matter what you happen to have sitting around. It also recommends uh, strongly that you develop on Linux. Because apparently the author is a, a big proponent of Linux, which is refreshing. That's quite refreshing to see. One of the things that I like about the approach that this book takes is that he starts people out right away with the GUI framework that they're going to use for the rest of the book. Almost, almost right away. I think there's one program in there that is purely sort of a on the you know in the terminal kind of a hello world type application. I, I don't exactly remember, but but he starts really quickly people out on the GUI framework that they're going to use. Now, I'm of two minds of this, to be honest. I mean, I think that both methods are are valid, and I think that in some programming books that I've read, people start the reader out in the you know with text-based programs, and I think that's a very valuable thing because it does help a new programmer understand that a lot of programming is parsing text. It's it's getting input from a user or from a source, I should say. And then it is looking at that input and doing something based on that input. And that's an important concept. It's, it's easier to see when it's all just plain text. And you're understanding, okay, so I can parse this thing. And, and that thing is familiar to you because it is a word. It is a, a common word that you might see. And, and you understand that when you're grepping or when you're choosing the, you know, the equality between two numbers, you understand that those are 
that's just plain text and that's the input and that's it's going to determine what gets output it's all valuable and and sometimes gui frameworks and things like that they 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 tend to lose that those more obvious points that really really basic text programs emphasize by nature of the fact that they are really really basic there's not a whole lot else to distract you luckily i i feel like lua and this is one of the benefits of lua i think I feel like Lua does a really good job of kind of getting rid of the of a lot of that excess stuff in a way that other programming languages I just haven't seen them achieve. And and by that I mean here's a thirty I'm sorry I meant twenty line program for just a simple little dice game. Uh, and I do mean simple, but but it it does it's simple, but it uses a GUI framework. So it opens a graphical window and and provides results. Now, all of this could and and you know arguably should have been done as a text program. The thing that I, I'm emphasizing here is that it isn't, and that it's done with a GUI framework, and yet is as simple as if it had been done as a plain text kind of interface. So first of the the first thing that that you do in in a Lua file and main.lua is all you you just call it main.lua because the framework here that's being used is the love framework that's l-o-v-e and the o has two dots over it so i think it's love2d.org if you want to go to the site i'll paste this code into the show notes but but it's uh let's say um view w equals uh i don't know uh 600 view h equals uh 480 actually so let's do 720 and then 480 That, that makes sense so view w view h so that's just your your window size the the width and the height not a big deal and it is it's view w equals 720 uh, return view h equals 480 so it's it's a very kind of if you've ever used bash you already know what you're doing here right you're you're setting a variable easy now you could um well, I, I won't get into local variables versus global variables right now. So, and then you can create a function. So the the first function that and and you can create functions in Lua, uh, in Lua all you want. You can just create functions for free. It's super easy to do. Now, Love, the Love game engine, the Love GUI framework that you're using, has a couple of preset functions that it kind of expects and it knows what to do with. So the first one is Love.load. Love.load establishes things that get that that get loaded once when you launch the program okay that's pretty pretty clear right um, i really like this structure by the way and i stole this structure myself for a python class that i did teach to i think maybe i don't know 11 or 12 year old kids at a at a, at a school local school so there's the love.load which gets loaded once so that's kind of your setup function that, that sets everything up and then you have uh, function love.draw, which is a loop. It loops over and over and over and over, and whatever is in love.draw gets drawn on the screen. It's brilliant. Brilliant little simplicity. Just It's super easy to understand. You know that anything you put in love load will get loaded once and only once. Anything you put in love.draw will get drawn on screen once every tick. If you create other functions, that's okay. You can do that. You can create other functions. It's not a problem. Love you know they they will fire when you call them but but it won't interfere with anything so we've got a function love.load parenthesis parenthesis and then you can indent you you don't have to it's not like python you you have freedom to do whatever you want so uh, love.window.setMode with a capital m parenthesis view w comma view h comma curly brace resizable equals false comma vsync equals false curly brace close parenthesis 
Now, that arguably is a lot to remember. That that's if if they, if you have to type that out every time you create a new program, you're you're probably not going to remember all of those things. But luckily, the love documentation really really is very easy to follow. It is again just sim It's there's a lot here that is very simple and very clear and it will tell you that when you want to set the mode of your of the window that you're drawing uh, these are the things that 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 command if you will accepts so then there's love.window.setTitle again with a capital t so set mode set title it's all camel case and then um parentheses quote dice close quote close parentheses then there's a little bit of math to do Luckily, uh, the computer is a calculator and it can do all that stuff for you. So, math.randomseed, parentheses, os.time, parentheses, parentheses, parentheses. So, what that does is it uses the math function of Lua. It's a built in Lua function, unlike the love window, which is a, a love function. So, math.randomseed uh, fires off or, or starts kind of a, a a seed for for random numbers and it it's basing that here on the um the time function of your computer and that is in the os module of of lua or the os library of lua os.time and then there's um two more variables that we'll create just while we're loading here computer equals math.random parentheses 1 comma 20 close parentheses and player equals math.random parentheses 1 comma 20 close parentheses and then end and you can probably guess what that does i mean it's you're creating a variable and you're calling a math function called random and you're giving it two numbers one low and one high so if you know anything about programming this this will strike you as you getting a random number and you'd be correct that's exactly what it's doing now that only works once the random seed has been started so if you forget to start a random seed or if you fail to start a random seed then these functions will not correctly uh it work that it, it won't have a random number to choose from okay so that's that and then the word end in ends your function so from function love dot load parentheses parentheses you got all the content that i just described and then the word end and that that closes that that function. The word end is pretty common in Lua. It 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 marks the end of functions and it marks the end of if else statements and probably a couple of other things. Is that the best single word that they could have used? I mean, would I have preferred to have maybe an if and a phi? I don't know. It's hard to say. Or maybe an end if, I don't know. Um but anyway, so the next the next thing to get stuff on screen is function love.draw parentheses parentheses first thing that you want to do is you want to set your color kind of the the color to draw things in and for simplicity we'll just do love.graphics.set color lua or rather love specifically since 11.0 version 11.0 has has changed how they represent color actually so instead of 0 to 255 it, it kind of drives me crazy because i think of color in 0 to 255 values but they've changed it to 250 uh, to 0 to 1 0 being no color value and one being all the way on i'm sure that's useful for somebody but man it drives me crazy so in order to get a, a, a color in lua or in love format i just express the color in 0 to 255 and then i divide by 255 you don't have to do it that way you can if you think in decimal points for color you can do that but i just do 255 divided by 255 
comma 255 divided by 255 comma 255 divided by 255 or whatever you want i mean that that would be um one 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 all right so now we're gonna do an if statement that's exciting this is quintessential computing right so if and then the word player greater than symbol computer then so there's no commas there's no no complex kind of syntax there it's simply if player is greater than computer then then on the next line love.graphics.printf I, I prefer the printf function generally in lua and that's parentheses uh quote player wins close quote comma zero comma view underscore h times 0.5 comma view underscore w times 0.5 comma quote center close quote close parentheses so what's what's happening there is that we're saying that we're, we're, we're telling the love graphics system to print this phrase which is player wins and then we're saying that the place that we want to print it is about halfway down the vertical um, window and halfway across the width of the window and then we're telling uh, the love engine to center the text and, and that's going to approximate the center screen uh, the else, the next line, else, and then the next line, love.graphics.printf, and of course it's computer wins with the same argument. So computer wins, 0, view h, times 0.5, view w, times 0.5, comma, center, and that centers it. And then we, we use the keyword end to close our if statement, and then we use the word end again on the next line to close our function love draw statement. So I probably didn't make it clear yet, but but in order to actually run this program, you need to install first Lua, and then after Lua, you'll want to install Love, well, the Love game engine found at love. no, love2d.org. They're on current, as of this recording, they're around uh, version 11. I think maybe 2. I, I have 11.1 installed. I would say offhand, it's not worth installing anything prior to 11, I think, dot one, to be honest. And that's not to say it's really not worth it, but I'm just saying that there are a lot of nice improvements in 11.1, and I would highly recommend going that route if you have the option. Love2d.org requires Lua, kind of obviously, OpenAL, SDL2, LibModplug, LuaJIT, which is the just-in-time something or another for Lua, and then FizFS. And of course, your your package manager will resolve all those dependencies if you're if you're using package managers that do that sort of thing. I'm not, but I'm just saying yours will if you are. So you install that, and then Love by default is set to look in if you tell it to run from the current directory. So Love space dot. Then by default, it looks in the current directory for a file called main.lua, and it runs that inside of the Love engine if possible. Like if there are function calls within that 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 invoke love, then then it runs those things and makes things appear on your screen. Now, this current program that I've just written in 20 lines, it, it's basically you launch it once and get the die roll, and then you have to close it and then launch it again for a new die roll. So it, it's very, very, not a very sort of useful application or very fun, unless you just love the exercise of opening and closing a window for some for some text that doesn't even give you the number but maybe you can figure out how to get it to give you the number something like you rolled a and then some value and you already know from the if statement that you refer to variables in lua simply by typing the name of the variable so there's no dollar sign variable anything like that like you might be used to in bash whatever you declared as a variable you use that again in your code and it understands what you're referring to so that's 20 lines to a 
a graphic, technically a graphical application. Now, again, that's just using you're, you're just using the graphics system to paint text onto a screen. That's not all that exciting, but but it's really really trivial to generate something similar in the basic setup. Let's have a human and a computer compete for random numbers, which is a silly setup, but ultimately that's what a lot of games come down to, right? If you're playing on the computer, then essentially you are competing against a computer very frequently for a random number. So if you're playing an, a, a first-person shooter, you're aiming at something and pulling the trigger, and, and and maybe you hit, maybe you don't hit. How is the how how is it determined whether you hit or not? Well, there there's some geometry involved, right? I mean, did you hit within the hitbox, that sort of thing? But a lot of times, certainly in 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 the RPG model, there there are variables as well. Like, did that person have a reflex, a, a moment to, to to where reflexes kicked in and they dodged the, you know, they they moved just as you pulled the trigger or something like that. So it it, it very frequently comes down to that sort of thing. So to get a, a program a little bit more complex, it would be maybe, well, not complex, but a little bit fancier, a little bit prettier. It comes down to, well, inserting graphics. And that introduces a really interesting principle of Lua called tables. Now, tables in Lua land refers to a very specific thing, and it's not its not necessarily what you probably think it is. If you, if you think of tables, you probably think of or at least I think of, a database. That's the first thing I think of. This is a little bit related to that, I guess, in a way, but but really, if if you were familiar with programming at all, even a little, uh, well, maybe more than a little, but if you're if you're familiar, then you might know of uh, arrays in in programming. An array is, is quite an important concept because it's this way of kind of bundling information together, sometimes in, in sort of key value pairs and sometimes in a list, it's just an array is a one variable that contains lots of segmented information that you want to access for some reason. Sometimes it's it's handy to put it into an array because then you can then you know then you, you can look at that array and you say how many items are in that array and it can tell you oh I have ten items in this array so then you know that okay so if I if I refer to my array zero then I'm going to get this value back. If I refer to my array one, then I'm going to get that number, that that value back. And you can do that all the way up to nine for a total of ten. Except in Lua, strangely, er, the tables start at one and not zero. So that's something to get used to. But anyway, the this this idea of there being tables is is almost the it, it's it's kind of the the killer feature or maybe just the the main feature, the the key thing about Lua that it, I think once you understand the concept of tables in Lua, you pretty much inherit just all manner of of tricks of the trade that you can do, and it, it's really a lot of fun actually. Because what you get from from understanding tables is the ability to mimic, uh, for lack of a better term, object oriented object oriented programming. And I'll I'll try to touch that on that in a minute. But first, I'm just gonna really quickly kind of cover how to do a table in Lua, because it really is super simple. So for instance, let's say you were redesigning this really simple program, and you were making a dice game with graphics. So you needed to learn about the love graphic functions. Well, you might know, you, you might learn pretty quickly about a love.graphics function, and you may learn that there's a function within that called love.graphics.newImage. And again, it's camel case, so lowercase new, capital I in image. 
new image, love.graphics.new image. If you call that and then pass to that function the path to a valid image file, so for instance, parentheses, quote, image, slash, um, dice.png, close quote, close parentheses. Now you've just made an image. And in order to tell Lua to draw that image on screen at some point, like maybe you want to use that that to represent the die roll, right? I mean, you'd probably need a little bit more than just one dice graphic because you would probably want to represent a number of dice graphics depending on what number is on the die. But let's just go with this for now. So let's say that maybe you're going to display this dice graphic on screen a after a roll. And so in order to do that, you need to to, to refer to whatever you've just created, right? Love.graphics.newImage, parentheses, blah, close parentheses, that created an instance of this image within the love engine, but how do you refer back to it now that you've created it? Well, of course, you dump it into a variable. That's how that's how programming works. You, you make these little empty boxes called variables, and then you put stuff into them. So if we if we know that we're doing a human versus computer thing, then we know that this, maybe this die that we've just created here is going to represent the human uh, die, and we'll have a computer die later to compare on screen. So we need this a dice image to be associated with our human player. Well, all of this can kind of fit into this structure of tables, and so you can create a human table. Human equals curly brace, curly brace. That creates an empty table, an empty array, as we would probably say in lots of other languages, but in Lua it's a table. So this is a human table now. So now what we can do is we can just start throwing stuff into the array. It's really easy. All you have to do is make stuff up. Believe it or not, you can just make it up. It just sounds really weird and scary and like, surely there's a catch here. No, there's not. It, you can just, Lua knows that there's a table called human, and the more, as you, as you can just assign stuff to that table, and Lua will just keep piling it in. So, human.image equals love.graphics.newImage, parentheses, quote, image, slash, dice.png, close quote, close parentheses. Now we have a way to refer to our dice image, and that is to 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 refer to human dot image. It's as easy as that. We we can, but we can throw more stuff in there, like human dot name equals quote human close quote. It, it doesn't matter. You can put as much as you think you're going to need later on in that human table, and then refer back to it. So all of that would have gone in our love dot load function because we're creating these variables, and the, the table would have been created globally. But the the human dot image and the human dot name and whatever else you want to put into the human table would go in love dot load because that happens once maybe. And then in love dot draw, in order to get that graphic on screen. Somewhere in love.draw, you need love.graphics.draw, parentheses, human.image. So remember, that's the variable that contains that little picture. And then some coordinates. You, you put 50, 50, 0, 0, or not, uh, yeah, 50, 50, 0, I think, um, and then I think the scale. There's a, there's a bunch of different um, things that you can put in when you're drawing images. So if you look at the docs, you can see that it needs the name of the image, 
an X and a Y position, and then I think the rotation of it. So if you want to rotate it a little, you could do that. And then I believe it's the scale uh, X and Y. So if you need to scale a graphic down, for instance, you can do that there. There's a couple of different, there's there's more than that that you can add as well. So it's um, something that you would want to look up. But that's that's how you do it. You, you love.graphics.draw and then the name of the thing that you've created somewhere, and that's it. Now, of course, in real life, you don't want just one graphic, right? You don't want just one die for the human role. You want the die to respond to what the human has rolled. Well, that gets a little bit a little bit trickier, but surprisingly not much. I'm telling you, Lua is really nice. It makes a lot of sense. So if you're thinking about it, okay, we've got this screen, uh, the, this game window in front of us. In our first iteration of the game, we kept closing the window and then relaunching to, to re-roll the die. That's dumb, obviously. So what we could do is we could bring up that window in the in the initial you know when we first launch it and that that happens because love knows that it's supposed to display a window and then we have a love.draw program which starts drawing stuff on the screen so that we know it's it's alive and then what we could do is we could do something like okay so if if love detects that we've clicked a mouse then why don't we get our random numbers and then set human.image, which is that variable that's going to contain the dice image, will set that variable to a corresponding dice picture on our hard drive. And that's really easy to do. So all you have to do is, so in, in a function called function space love dot mouse released, parentheses, parentheses, uh, you, you would want to do the math stuff. You would want to do the human dot role equals math dot random one to six or one to 20 or however many sided die you, you have a picture to correspond to. Um, but then you would do, depending on now that you've gotten a value in human.roll, for instance, again, remember, you've got that human table, so you can dump whatever you need to in there. So we'll do human.roll equals some random number. And then we can set human.image, even if it's already been set somewhere else in the program, kind of like as an initial graphic to draw, we can reset it now. So human.image equals love.graphics.newImage, parentheses, quote, image slash dice close quote and then to concatenate values together you do dot dot in lua that's how you two dots in a row no spaces just dot dot human dot roll dot dot quote dot png close quote close parentheses so what we've done there in case you're not exactly following along is we've said okay there we we know that we have a human table we know that there is a human dot image uh, entry into that table, and even if there wasn't, we could make one. So human.image equals love.graphics.newImage, and then we're setting it to some file on our hard drive. But the, the, the file on the hard drive we know is named either dice0.png uh, or dice1, or I guess it would be dice1.png, dice2.png, dice3, 4, 5, 6.png. So you've got these six images in your little game folder, and so you're setting the the variable to one of these images, depending on what was rolled, what what the random number gave us back. And when we got a random number from the computer, we put it into human.roll. So human.roll is a variable that contains some number, one through six. And in order to get the correct file name, all we have to do is list the file name and kind of insert while we're listing that file name that random number whatever it may have been we don't even need to know what it's what what it is we just need to know that it's some number th one through six and that we have a corresponding image on our hard drive 
and that's what what's going on when you do like a quote uh, image or, or you know path to your image directory slash dice close quote and then dot dot human dot role dot dot quote dot png close quote close parentheses and now when you're playing the game you would click on the window and when you release the mouse not when you click and that's an important that's an important distinction because sometimes if you if you write something where you know you're 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 looking for a mouse click then some sometimes some engines or some things will will count for as long as you hold that mouse button down as a click so you don't really want that you want the single action of releasing the mouse because that only happens once and it happens instantly you detect a release okay now we will roll the die and generate the dice image and then of course the love.draw function is already set to continually draw whatever is in human.image at 50 50 0 whatever whatever and so it displays on screen and then of course you can put logic in there to do sort of an if human.roll is greater than computer.roll then human.win is true else human.win is false end end and then in the draw function you can always check for the condition the state of the human.win variable if it's if it's uh, false, then then declare the computer as the winner. If it's true, then declare the uh, human as a winner, and so on. So I will try to put some of that code up online. Trust me, it's it's in the book, and it only gets better from here. It, it covers a lot of interesting information, especially for the Raspberry Pi. There's stuff in that book that I can honestly say does not exist anywhere else, and I know this because I had to solve some problems related to getting love to run correctly on the Raspberry Pi. That book contains all of that. Did I say I had to solve some problems? Yeah, I was a consultant on the book. That's why I'm urging you to buy it. So let me cover just a couple of other things that I, I found really quite fascinating. So first of all, there's this thing, or, you know, eighth of all, whatever we're on now. There's this really interesting uh, thing called Lua Rocks. Oh no, first I wanted to talk about the the very, uh, the very um, the object-oriented mimicking functions. So yeah, it's really, really neat. With, with Lua tables, you, you can, I mean, you've already seen how the tables enable you to sort of make these 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 variables and then append things to them and then call those things back later and that's that's cool that's that's neat but you can do a lot more than that and that is that you can make meta tables and these serve as essentially lua libraries that you can then load into your main program really quick example would be for instance uh, human equals so this would be a new file. This would be, for instance, human.lua. So you could do something like human equals curly brace, curly brace. Okay, so now you've got a library that creates a human object. Well, sorry, you've got the start of a library that creates a human object. So then you, as the first sort of instant, or the, the first block of text in this file, you might have something like function human.init, and then parentheses name, comma, uh, image close parentheses then within this function you could create for instance a local self equals set meta table parentheses curly brace curly brace comma human close parentheses the meta table is the thing that's going to refer to to the things that this that this function creates so you have self dot for instance uh, what did i say name equals name self dot uh, image equals image return self and then end. So what you've done is you've created this table in a file whose 
initial function when executed is to create a table of itself with whatever you feed it. So to use this library or, or this object, if you if you please, you can uh, invoke it by you know doing something like um, I don't know clatu equals human dot init. So you're you're invoking the human uh, function from your human library. So human dot init parentheses quote clatu close parentheses comma and then the path to some some image and then close parentheses. And now you've created clatu with all of its properties inherited from from when it was created. Now, in order for your your main program, your main.lua or whatever file you're using this in, to be aware that human is a a function that you can call, you must sort of import it or include it in some in in, in some languages. In Lua, it's a require. So at the top of your main.lua file, you would put require parentheses quote human close quote close parentheses. And then when launching main.lua, main would look in its current directory, or actually it would look in its package path for a library called human. And then it would it would use that library to create objects. So that's a really powerful way of using Lua as if though it were object-oriented. And uh, I'm sure there are reasons why there's, you know, why there are significant differences to doing something that way and, and, and using some program that that's really serious about object orientation, but but for me and for what I've been doing, I can't tell the difference. Uh, it, it looks like an object. It acts like an object. As far as I know, it's an object. So one more thing, not the last thing, but, but well, two things that will serve as the last thing. So there's this really neat thing called Lua Rocks. And if you, I'm going to actually search for it right now in uh, Slack builds. Yeah, there it is. So Lua Rocks, I don't think I have it installed right now on this machine. Yes, I do not. So I can just install that. So Lua Rocks is a package manager. It's like the PyPy or the PIP or whatever it's called. Yeah, PIP. PyPy is the site, isn't it? So anyway, it's like PIP for Python or GEM for Ruby or uh, NPM for Node and, and all those different things. And it, it serves really the, the exact same function. It, it just has less in it, which I know I'm not selling it to you right now, but, but that's, I mean, that's just the truth. I mean, it doesn't have as much stuff in it because, um, because Lua, we're, we're not in the Lua alternate reality. We're in the reality where Python and Ruby and JavaScript got really po popular. And Lua is a little niche language for shader developers and game developers, and that's fine. So Lua Rocks, though, it does exist, and it's a really nice little system. It is, well, when I say really nice, I, I just mean it's pretty cool. So the way that you can use it, and the way that I've been using it, um, generally speaking, there are some exceptions to this, but generally speaking, and, and these are the same kind of exceptions that exist for PIP and, and all those other things, where you, where it looks so easy and looks so great, and then you try to install something and you realize that you've been installing binaries all this time and that the binary doesn't exist for that platform so even though it seems like it's there and available to you it's too stupid to know that you're on a uh, on an architecture that it actually doesn't support and so on so anyway the um, lua rocks is pretty cool you can do a lua rocks search for something uh, lua rock uh, 
X um, install the thing that you want to install. And I think most importantly, and this is the way that I've been using it, is that you can redefine what it considers the 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 local um, the local prefix. So if you do a Lua rocks dash dash local and then define, for instance, the literal local file in your current directory, then it installs that Lua package that you've just in, that you've asked it for into your, the current directory in a in a folder called local, or you could call it libs or third-party libs, you know, whatever you want to call it. But if you're trying to ship a game and you think to yourself, I would rather have all the libraries this needs to function rather than to ship the game, and then tell users that, hey, by the way, in order to use this, you have to install this and that and this and that. So if you want to do that as much as you can, then you can bundle stuff into your into your game by doing a Lua rocks dash dash local install and, and just have everything install right within your little um, game folder, and that's quite useful. Now, the way that you need to adjust what Lua knows about all of its available libraries is in your in your in your Lua file. I, I just do it in my main.lua file, but somewhere in your program, when when it you know in order of execution, you need to set the package.path variable in in Lua, or, or rather, you need to adjust it because it is it's already set by default to wherever Lua was told its libraries exist on your system when you installed it but whether you compiled it or whether you're inheriting something from from your your delivery service whoever packages up your stuff so package.path is like you can think of it as the path environment variable in bash if that's what you're used to you can think of it as the path the syspath in um, python or the even the include path for gcc whatever you're used to that's package path it, it's just you telling the language where to look when it can't find a, a a foo library in all of the other places that it already knows to look so package.path equals package.path and then how do we concatenate things in lua we do dot dot and then quote semicolon for instance local slash share slash lua slash 5.3 or whatever version it is slash question mark dot lua close quote so what this is doing is it's setting package.path to whatever package path is by default anyway and then it's concatenating to the end of that string the further string of local share lua 5.3 question mark dot lua and what the what what that does so the local share lua 5.3 that's the path that if you install something locally with lua rocks you you look at that after you install it and you'll see that that's you know that's a very typical built-in path it knows okay so my prefix is local got it so it, it goes local for the pre prefix and then very often you'll find a share folder in there and in there you'll find lua and then you'll find the version number now inside of that you may find files that are that that end in lua and, and that have a variable or have have different names possibly so what you're telling lua here is that hey i want you to look in you know the current directory local share lua 5.3 or 5.1 whatever it is and then some string represented by a question mark which you know as as a bash user that threw me because i feel like a question mark that's a in regex you know that's that's a single 
digit. That wouldn't be more than one digit, right? Um, no, it's just it's it's eight. It's some string. So question mark dot ending in Lua. And that way, when you do something like require uh, foo, Lua can't find foo in its package path, and then it gets to the end of its package path, and it finds oh you've added something local share Lua phi dot. And and so I'm going to look in here for things that end in Lua and Here's one called foo.lua. Well, that's the library you're looking for. That's the library I'll load, and that's how that works. So that's that's Lua rocks, and it's the package path of, of Lua. It works pretty well, and Lua in general works pretty well. I do encourage you to check out this book. It, it, it even goes at the end of the book into a little bit of app, you know, getting the Lua thing that you've just made onto a phone. There are lots of, unfortunately, caveats to getting something that you've written in the Love engine onto a mobile. And, the, you know, it's it's a developing thing, right? I mean, Love engine is, is working very hard to get everything really, really ready for mobile, and they're doing a great job. There is a very easy package that you can download for the Android platform, or you can find Love in some form of, of App Store, probably the Play Store, probably F-Droid. I, I, I know I found it, I just don't remember which one. I might have just installed it from the from the website, to be honest, because I probably needed the latest at the time. But it, it's super easy to get on there. iOS, not so much. It, it's kind of funny because it's, it's one of those things, you go to the website and it says it's free, open source, it works on Windows, Mac, OS X, Linux, Android, and iOS, and then you kind of start digging deeper and you realize, well, when they say that it works on iOS, they mean that if you are familiar, if you're a Mac user, there are those out there, and you have Xcode on your computer and you know how on earth to make that work, and you've probably, I imagine you'd have to root your iOS or something, I don't know, you, you know, all of these things that you have to do to get love on there, and it's not its not super easy, but they're working on it, and they're making a lot of progress. I mean, I check in with love frequently, and, and they really are doing a lot of great work, so it's a, it's a cool little engine. It's a neat way to get a little mini game onto a phone, onto a mobile platform. So uh, yeah, if you're interested in that sort of thing, it, it's it's worth looking into. And as I say, the book covers a lot of that stuff. It covers particle systems. It covers lots of different types of games and game logic and just game development in general. So you should check that book out. No, you should buy that book and tell your library to buy it so other people can read it for free. That would be the thing to do, I guess. But hey, I hear the music that is signaling the end of the show. So thanks for listening, and I will talk to you next time. listening to the GNU World Order AugCast. This has been Klaatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the Freenode network usually in channels such as AugCast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, a couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Klaatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Klaatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at klatu at member.fsf.org. That's klatu at member.fsf, as in free software foundation.org. 
And of course, you can visit my various websites, gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info. I will see you next time. Oh, but don't misunderstand. Actually, you have a wonderful catch in me.